Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Evan, man. What's up? You're so close. Almost got there. (laughs) Welcome to my life. What do you mean, welcome to your life? You're the only one who dodged it until this far in. No, no, this is how it works for me. I Actually, you know what? I specifically sent a message earlier this week saying, you know, COVID is making its rounds again. And, uh, you know, let's just play it extra safe in advance of the event to make sure that we're okay. And, I mean... Brad recently had it. I recently had it. So it, the message was specifically for you. So against my my direct request, Evan, you still went and got COVID. What's that about, man? Yes. Putting on my mask and going to the grocery store is apparently a high-risk activity these days. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Brad, what do you want to chime in with? Get him. Oh, no. I'm saying uh, the conspiracy side. We, we do the tinfoil hat theories. Uh, for hockey players, but now it's time we do one for Evan. He catches COVID. Yeah, the day the Masters starts. Yeah, every golfer in the world <laughs> is pulling this trick right now. None of I work from it. home. I don't need to tr- trick anybody. Everybody already knew I'd be watching it. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, a rather unexpectedly dejected start. Welcome to this remote episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, the last before Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA Part 2. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm the healthier version of Evan. And I'm Evan. So some very quick news here. Obviously, Evan uh, has had the misfortune of catching COVID and so uh, won't be able to make it out to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA this weekend. Um, He won't show it because he's a robot that was never taught or programmed to show emotion, but he's actually pretty devastated by this. A third of that is the golf. A third of that is he really wanted the cool bubbly that they sell uh, over there. And a third of that is the event. So um we're going to have to do two things. First of all, make sure that when we go podcast night part three is uh, even bigger and better than what we pull off this weekend to um, to make sure that Evan uh, is able to do that. And secondly, um, all the praise that you guys usually give to Evan because you love him inexplicably, just feel that free, free to send that mine and Brad's way this weekend. Why not? <laughs> there is a 100% chance that's not going to happen. And there's a 100% chance that all that positive Evan energy is going to be converted scientifically into negative energy and then projected at us. That's just science, baby. <laughs> On this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we will be giving you a, a brief update and some news in advance of Wind Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. So if you are not interested in that or not coming or are tired of hearing about live events, uh, check the description and just skip forward. Uh, when we start talking about hockey, which we will talk about next, uh, it'll be the Red Wings game review. Games review. Um, Michael Rasmussen has been doing what we've hoped Michael Rasmussen would do for a long time. We saw Philip Zadina and um, Jacob Verana playing together. We saw Jake Wallman take a, a bigger role in the power play. There is some news slash no news about Blashill's contract, and the Red Wings have a new signing. 
in Pont, uh, Pontus Andreasen, and I'm sure we'll be corrected on that pronunciation promptly after this episode is posted. So I look forward to that. And then we'll chat a little bit about what's going on across the NHL. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. But before we do that, we're going to talk to you about the uh, Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA. Tickets are still available. What is going to happen? The Winged Wheel podcast, Sans Evan. Is yeah, I've going got one to- ticket available right now. <laughs> Yeah, we'll give Evan's ticket away to someone. Um, we're we're going to be going to the LCA. It's a an event that is partnered with the Detroit Red Wings in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So we're recording a live podcast from Little Caesars Arena in the Beer Garden, and it's going to feature Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. There's going to be a meetup where you can meet two of the hosts, uh, our special guests. Uh, there's going to be giveaways, merch, prizes, and things like that. We're going to have some food and snacks out available for you guys, courtesy of the podcast that we bought in advance. That is limited, so it's first come, first serve. After that, um, you'll have to wait till you get into the arena uh, to, to get concessions. The bar will be open in the beer garden for you to buy drinks if you'd like. Uh, the sections in the arena are full of wind wheel podcast listeners we filled up the gondola there are lower and upper bowl sections just filled with podcast listeners and more of those tickets are available the tickets have a special wind wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket goes to the jamie daniels foundation which is a really great cause um, in addition to all of that we are going to be having a post-game after party at harry's detroit bar and grill um, all of this will be sent to in an email to all ticket buyers uh, for you to know there's going to be maps and things. So a uh, special shout out to um, my significantly better half for having us way more organized uh, than we were in the past. One note is that the at the event, if you are going to come, make sure that you are not scanned into the arena because the moment you scan your ticket into the arena, the new arena rules are that you cannot re-enter, which means you can't leave out into the beer garden. So the moment you're, you, you go into the arena, you are there. You won't be able to leave. So if you're coming to the event, the pre-show, come straight to the beer garden. There's going to be restrooms made open in the uh, LCA parking structure uh, building just adjacent to the beer garden. So you'll still have restrooms to use uh, without having to leave the event. Uh Link to buy tickets are in the description of this episode, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog, etc., etc. And very quickly, the Jamie Daniels Foundation Comedy Night of Hope is coming up on Sunday, May 1st at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak. Tickets as low as 50 bucks includes a meal as well. There's three headliner comedians, and it all goes to an incredible cause, uh, supports a new adolescent substance abuse treatment center that cares for youth regardless of insurance coverage or ability to self-pay, a vital lifeline for youth and families in Southeast Michigan. And it's sponsored by our friends at Priority Waste and Cranks Catering. So to purchase your tickets and find out more, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Evan, that's the last time I do the spiel. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's everything. I'm sorry, man. I can hear the pain in your voice. (sighs) Yeah. You know, we actually, uh, I don't know if Brad, you knew this, but we had a really nice dinner lined up for Friday too. That's probably the most disappointing part of it all. Yeah. We've, (laughs) We found a place that does a tasting menu, and we decided to to splurge and go for that. And it was going to be a uh, Evan and I going on a date, and Mel was going to tag along. And now it's just going to be me and Mel. That's going to be awkward. Anyhow, we'll get we'll we'll get you back, buddy. Don't worry. All right, the Detroit Red Wings. 
um, have won back-to-back games. No, that's not an audio glitch just because we're doing an inconvenient remote recording. The Detroit Red Wings beat the Boston Bruins and then the Winnipeg Jets on a back-to-back nights, and it was a home and then an away, so there's travel in between. Quite shocked, honestly. The Winnipeg game I could see, but let's start with the Boston one, and that one was super surprising to me. So uh, let's start there. What were your main takeaways from that game? Uh, My main takeaway that game was just Alex Nedeljkovic in general, because let's be honest, He's the reason they won that game. The Red Wings still gave up 50 shots. Overall, it was not a great performance. We saw, as we did in October, great performances from several key players. Like I said, most notably the goaltender. But also, Verona and Zadina's chemistry seemed to come back. Cider was his usual self. Larkin was his usual self. Raymond was his usual self. The rest of the team didn't completely implode. Like they have at times, but they weren't good. Hence why they gave up 50 shots to the Bruins, a great team. Don't get me wrong. But Ned got in one to the point where he's even setting up goals to help his case. But uh, yeah, that that's pretty much the simple breakdown of that game for me. The guys who needed to show up showed up. Ned saved their ass and and they made the key plays at the few moments they needed to. What was really important to me was that that game... Ned, I felt not recovered from a poor start, but you didn't get the sense early on that he was going to just come in and absolutely dominate Boston, right? Like it didn't look like a 47 save performance to start the game. Uh, I think Boston opened up with the first two goals. Yeah, they opened up with the first two goals, first one under five minutes in, and then uh, about 14 minutes into the second period or into the first period, they went up to nothing. And if it wasn't for that Dylan Larkin goal to end the first period, you know, I entered into the group chat at one point before the Larkin goal, like this game is not looking good. It was looking like more prototypical Red Wings hockey that we've seen recently. So two things. First of all, that Larkin goal was just right Perfect, perfect. I think it took a weird deflection um, and credit to, I believe, Sunquist who on the screen. So that was a, a Larkin goal from Cider and Raymond. And Cider hit 40 assists, actually. We, we should mention that. Cider hit 40 assists, and I think he is the only second player in – what is it? Second player in 25 years? Yeah. Second rookie defenseman in the last 25 years to hit 40 assists, Quinn Hughes being the other one in 2019-2020. So that goal at the end of the period – really changed the game for Detroit. And then after that, it was, yeah, it's not like the team came out and played on fire. They had those moments, like you you said, um, from players that we're going to talk about in a second here. But Alex Nedeljkovic, you know, have a night. It is comforting to know that that can happen because with Alex Nedeljkovic of late, it's been dominant from the start or horrible from start to end. And he's pulled <laughs> twice or whatever it is. Um, yeah, all in all, I think that was a really, really important game for him. And congratulations to him on a beautiful assist. That saucer pass was <laughs> nicer than a lot of the Red Wings defensemen could have managed. And uh, at first, I thought he was shooting for the goal. But he hit that beautiful saucer pass to Gagne, was it? That yeah, was Gagne for the empty net goal. And then a career-high 47 save. So um, credit to Ned on that one. He needed it, honestly. Like, if there was one thing that needed to happen towards the end of this season, above all else on this team, it was for Nadelkovich to get 
his groove back. We know the Red Wings are going to get shelled a bunch the rest of the season just because of who they are. Um, and he's going to have bad games because of who they are. But he needs to get a handful of these or something close to it under his belt just so he's got something to build off of uh, and to keep in his mind going into the summer and then walking into next season. So let's talk about the goals that the Red Wings did manage. Um, first, and this is the third one that happened. This was the 4-2 goal. Um, Jacob Vrana. He's not stopping. This guy is not stopping. It's not a question, right? Like he genuinely has that scoring touch. This like it doesn't even look like he always has the angle. It doesn't even look like he always has the space he needs. And it doesn't even always look like he has like the drop on the goalie who's out of the position. But he can just fire it. That release, it's the release, man. Like, Brad, you you you're really good at describing what an NHL release is, and especially as it pertains to guys like Zadina versus like, you know, an extreme example of Matthews, how deception comes into play and speed of the puck off the stick. I feel like Verona's is incredibly underrated across the league because it comes off his stick and you're like, he didn't lean into that at all. How did he just wire it like that? I'm not saying Verona's always going to be scoring at like nearly a goal per game or whatever he's at, but he has the ability to put the pucks in like at the elite level in the NHL in my mind. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the difference between, you know, a Zadina and a Matthews just because, Matthew's strength comes from his deception on a shot. And obviously it's ridiculously hard, but it's, he can change angles and that Verona's calling card is he, he gets it off fast. That puck can get off his stick from any position, any angle, any time quickly, accurately. And with power, the one he scored against the Bruins where he walked into the zone, sidestepped the guy. He shot that with an open face on his stick, which with more of an open face than you would see on a traditional snapshot to get that kind of power on it in that position. Again, I'm no physicist, but it doesn't make sense to me. That shouldn't happen. I, I don't under, fully understand how it does that. I understand how and why he's doing it, but it, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, And yeah, it's remarkable he's got to have a top 10 release in the league because again the things he can do and how quickly he can do them and the power he can generate it just doesn't make sense it's truly remarkable and as we've seen since he's come to detroit and played a bigger role those per 60 numbers weren't wrong in washington he does produce at that rate and his shot is the main driver behind it i'm every day in shock that the red wings got the return that they did for for verona or for, for Mantha, which included Verona and first and third. And, and no other stuff went the other way, and they retained salary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, you can see why Washington fans were upset. I think about the, the oh, I'm, an, I'm a jerk for not remembering it, but the Washington pod that we went on where we talked about Mantha, we talked about Verona, we tried to kind of like make them not feel as bad about the trade. And it's like looking back, I, I, I'm sure Mantha is has been and can do a lot of good stuff for them, but I can't believe Washington didn't give Verona the room to thrive because holy is he making a difference in this lineup. Changes the formula. Like how many times in that in that group chat, Brad, have we like gone through or has one of us gone through and added like a lineup for next year, two years from now, three years from now? What happens if they win this draft lottery? Whatever. And Verona changes that formula so so much. He's a scoring threat they haven't had 
Because for as good as Mantha was, he was very inconsistent. And to be fair, Verona hasn't had enough games to decipher if he's going to be consistent or not yet. Um, but it looks like he is going to be, um, especially considering you know he's doing it this year, coming back from an injury and a long layoff. So that's a pretty good indication that he can pretty much do this anytime he wants. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, he's not a perfect player. There are definitely flaws to his game. Um, but I feel like we've spent so much time this season uh, covering flaws of players and the team that eh, I'm not even going to bother going through it because if you're scoring at the clip that Verona is, it doesn't matter. Well, another thing he did was he found uh, Zadina on a play where he drew the defenders to him and he drew the attention to him and found Zadina with a pretty impressive pass. And Zadina's finish on that was one where at other points of season he had a much lower degree of difficulty and he just wasn't able to put it in for one reason or another and i know there's something to this where verona put it in his wheelhouse and i know there's something to this where you know you play with a good player right thing the the right thing is going to happen with the puck coming off your stick but it just seems to be that verona elevation where even a guy who's struggling to use what should be very good tools in his shooting um, is finding a little bit more ease. So it was really nice to see Zadina get that goal. And speaking broadly over two games, you know, it was it was uh, Verona and Zadina on the wings on the same line, which we've been calling for for some time. Zadina looked good. They looked like they had really good chemistry. I know a lot of people are going to go, well, yeah, that's obvious. I can't believe we had to wait this long for Jeff Blashill to do it. But it wasn't a guarantee. So it was really, really good to kind of see that chemistry come through. Well, this is why, and I think we had this conversation like two years ago about Zadina, how, you know, you need X amount of X type of players on each line. And we argued, no, you can, you can put a shooter opposite Philip Zadina. And this is kind of a good showcase as to why. Now, is Pew Suter the optimal center for them? No, probably not. But look at this roster. You're not getting any optimal lines beyond line one. Because what you mentioned, Vrana drew attention away from Zadina. We've covered in detail the struggles Zadina has had with his shots this year, past two years in the NHL. But the one thing Zadina's never struggled with with his shot is when he has time and space. He can still hammer it and he can still put it where he wants. His problem is creating the time and space for a shot and then creating the deception to get it through the defender or beat a goalie cleanly when Verona has two defenders on him and Zadina has got that kind of space to hammer a one-timer. He's going to hit it more often than he doesn't. But when he's playing with two non-shooting threats, he doesn't get that time and space. He does not have the ability to capitalize on the strength of his shot. So, you know, if you can get a, a, Nicholas Backstrom type between these two guys, that could be a pretty deadly line because a, it hides Zadina's deficiencies, but it will also allow him to utilize his strengths. Yeah, can we just get one of the best passers of this generation of hockey for the second line? I said type. <laughs> That's a Ryan Hanna level take right there. Simply play better hockey. S- simply pass the puck to the good players, please. Uh, so that Boston game, Boston coming into the game was like 39 and one against non-playoff teams this season. The one loss prior coming to the Red Wings. And so the Red Wings beating them again was especially satisfying. And then seeing like 
Brad Marchand, uh, he took a cross check from Larkin because Larkin didn't like how he, uh, Marchand him initially. And then Marchand did that whole fake falling and just two hand Larkin in the shoulder. And someone was like, that kind of looked intentional. I'm like, yeah, dude, that was 10,000% intentional. There's a whole scrum after Marchand was pinned down at one point by Moritz Sider with one hand. Um, whatever. And then at the end of the game, Boston's, what is it, fourth line? Just a bunch of guys, who names you've never really seen, except for the two times the Red Wings have played Boston, just refused to leave the ice. Went after Zadina, went after Verona. Rasmussen chokeslammed a guy. It was just Boston being Boston. And to know that they lost that game when they were fighting for home ice advantage in, in the playoffs, or yeah, for this upcoming playoffs, it's just so satisfying. Big uh, Evan, I love violence vibes at the end of that game. It's always a good day when Boston Bruin, the Boston Bruins lose. Okay, it's Bo- an even better day when the Boston Bruins lose and the Red Wings are literally laughing them off the ice. It's bad, right? Like you cannot. <laughs> the Red Wings fans pretty well know where they're like. No Red Wings fan is delusional about this team at this point. So it's just so that much more. <laughs> entertaining when a team that shouldn't lose the Red Wings does because we all know how embarrassing that is we've accepted the fate of the Red Wings for the rest of the season speaking of which the Winnipeg Jets who absolutely needed to win last night I think got dominated by Detroit for at least most of the game wouldn't say dominated but yes definitely got outplayed by the Red Wings that is a that is a tough way to have the last little bit of hope in your season get extinguished. Sorry, Evgeny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It was nice seeing him on the ice, though. So that was the uh, the second game of the back-to-back. Thomas Grice was, was near perfect. There was a second goal that went in on him, but the uh, unrivaled force of coaches' challenges in Jeff Blashill – one yet another offside challenge, which is just some like twisted commentary on Brad's view <laughs> on both coaching and offside challenges. It's actually really funny. But I would say for the most part, the Red Wings were the better team that game. And I think it was the best team game that the Red Wings have played, probably going back to just after the All-Star break, maybe against Philly for those two games. Hey, if you can't do anything else, you might as well play spoiler. What's uh? It's the saying, misery loves company. That's uh, Detroit's motto for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. Misery loves company, but this time misery is dragging company down into <laughs> into the depths with its claws. So that took the form of Sam Gagne scoring uh, from a nice, actually, Larkin player to get the puck, played to get the puck over to him on the shorthanded goal, which the Red Wings are apparently allowed to score, not just have scored against them. And that was Sam Gagne's 500th career point, which was really cool to see. Uh, and then Gagne also got the the 3-1 goal at the end of the game. But I want to talk about Michael Rasmussen. He didn't just score this game. He scored against Boston as well. He, the kind of hockey that he's been playing, especially when he's been on the wing, this is what people have been calling for. Like This is all of our conversations about Michael Rasmussen where we weren't just like trying to completely bash the guy we were saying he's being utilized improperly and playing a game that doesn't really suit him i don't know what flipped i don't know if this was like a concerted decision where they sat down i don't know if this was just the the culmination of a lot of work over time i don't have that insight but we are seeing michael rasmussen play the way 
a guy like Michael Rasmussen should. And it is, you know, the first couple games that happened, I was like, this is a nice little streak. And the next couple games that happened, I was like, hmm, this is like, uh, this is a good set of hockey that Rasmussen is being putting together. I wonder if this is something that'll keep up. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I think this is sustainable. I think this is where Michael Rasmussen can truly fit into this roster in a way that is meaningful and contributes to wins, even when the team is competitive. This proves he's definitely a winger, I think, which is something I think we've been banging the drum for for a while. Um, And I know Prashanth was fancy stats group chatting us again, kind of without getting into the detail. The stats definitely very definitively back up that Michael Rasmussen's strengths are best on the wing. Um, Michael Rasmussen's a, a good example of people's attitudes on things. If you're a pessimist or an optimist, because there's still a lot of people looking at what Rasmussen's doing and going, this is garbage for a ninth overall pick. Yeah, fine. You're not wrong. Or you could take the view that everybody should be taking relative to October and November, Michael Rasmussen. This is a phenomenal turnaround. He was the worst player on this team for a couple months, which is really saying something. And he has absolutely done the 180 degree turnaround that we were hoping he would do. And he's continuing to utilize his strength. He scored in back-to-back games and that was coming off scoring a ridiculous goal against Ottawa on the weekend as well. He is keeping his game simple. He's doing a much better job in front of the net, which was kind of the biggest point of frustration with him because he came out of junior as this uh, quote unquote net front specialist who was barely scoring goals um, in front of the net in the NHL. And he's gotten a few of those, the goal against Winnipeg being a perfect example of that. He still has room to grow in terms of his game, which is just more reason for optimism because he's still not as strong off the cycle as he should be relative to someone his size, but it's improved. He's never going to be a playmaker, even as good as he's been playing. We just haven't seen that uh, element of his game come out at all. Uh, So I think it's probably pretty safe to say it's not going to, but he's been shooting. He's been getting to the net. He's been driving the zone. He's been making positive things happen uh, because when he's on the wing, he can focus on those things. He doesn't have to do too much. And yeah, I, I think right now there's probably a bit more room to improve, but for the most part, we're looking at, this is what Michael Rasmussen is. The, the goals aren't going to be like this sustainably four goals in five games or whatever it is like, that's just not going to hold. And that's perfectly fine because you don't need them to hold. You need Michael Rasmussen to do the kinds of things that you just mentioned, Brad, leverage the big body, really build kind of strength on that frame to make sure that you can leverage that big body, crash the net, go to the net hard, put yourself in the right place to pick up like loose pucks in the dirty areas, because those goals count all the same as the rest. Rasmussen's goal counted the same as Verona's that we just waxed poetic about for however long, right? I sound like a, a an old school hockey coach, but that's the kind of thing that you need. The issue that Michael Rasmussen had before was that he was trying to play a game that just didn't work at this level. We saw him, like he had handles and he had skill that worked at the CHL level, you know, weaker competition and where his size bought him a little bit more space and he could do those things. And it was just kind of like 
you know, to quote Evan here, square peg in a round hole. He, he was trying to make that work in the NHL and it just wasn't going to happen. It's not a knock on the guy. He's still an NHL level hockey player. It's just about playing the kind of game that you need to. Got the question after the game of, is this the same as Adam Ernie and his insane offensive tear uh, at the end of last year? And, and my answer to that, and maybe I'm being too optimistic here, is I don't think so. I think this could be, and could is the operative word, sustainable. We were seeing Adam Ernie doing something that was shocking for Adam Ernie. He was scoring at an insane rate. He was like a point per game for like 11 games or whatever it was. That isn't the kind of game that Adam Ernie plays. And anyone who watches him knows would have known that like that wasn't going to hold up forever. But with Michael Rasmussen, you're seeing him play like a big man that leverages his strength, crashes the net, you know, isn't and is effective in a bottom six role. I also think he looks stronger on his skates than he was earlier in the season he was getting folded and just losing board battles left and right i think he has a ways to go maybe a couple good off seasons can really build that up but i think he looks stronger in his skates right now too so i don't think it's wrong to have a lot of optimism here about rasmussen well shooting percentages uh state that what rasmussen and ernie are doing is a little bit different because rasmussen's not shooting the lights out i think he's hovering around what like 10 percent which considering all his shots come from the home plate area that feels like a very very sustainable shooting percentage um again maybe not the four and five games but he also did have a lot of bad luck earlier in the season and definitely should have had a few more drop than actually did so this is just you know regressing to the mean um what's it law of averages that was what i was looking for there um but yeah he's a good example of why skating matters because very few players do improve their skating all that much when they get to the next level. And Rasmussen's skating coming out of junior was poor. And as you mentioned, he made a lot of skill plays in junior because of his size and just the difference in pace in the OHL and the WHL that he could get away with it. And he got to the NHL and realized, no, can't do that here. And he didn't have a separating gear in his skating, which means he had never had time or space, never. So all the stuff he did in junior to counterbalance that was now no longer a strength in his game. It, it was almost not even a usable part of his game. So the fact that he's come so far in his skating to, you know, conservatively league average, maybe slightly above if we're just talking North South, cause he's still not an agility skater again, never will be. <laughs> um, when he makes the plays he wants to make that little bit of extra speed combined with his reach does allow him a little more time, not a ton more, but just enough. And in the NHL, it's all about fractions of a second. So if he can translate all that work and all that size into an extra half step, every time he gets the puck crossing the blue line, that's a big deal in the NHL. And as we're seeing now that he's starting to piece together what his game is and what it should be, yeah, I think circling back to it, I think that's why this is sustainable. Again, I don't think Michael Rasmussen's ever going to be a 25 goal scorer. I don't think he's ever going to be a 20 assist guy. But if we're looking at a player right now that can come into every season, be 2020, run net front on the second power play unit, be your defensive specialist, there's a lot of value to that on a third line in the NHL. A lot of value to that. Is he a guy who could maybe spot fill in the top six for injuries and, and whatnot going forward? Yeah, maybe. Which is crazy to say because, again, five months ago, I didn't think he was an NHLer. Like the way he was playing, I'm like, if he's 
if this is who he is, there's no place for him in the NHL for the next 10 years. So if Michael Rasmussen turns into a tweener, middle six winger, that's a gigantic win from where he was. I'll even go back and say from where he was three and a half months ago. And to state the obvious here, the the evaluation of Michael Rasmussen has to be detached from the draft pick. And I know it's counterintuitive to bring it up, but genuinely I mean it when I say you need to you need to not think about that draft position anymore. There's no changing it. You know, you can make the evaluation of that draft, how poorly it went, the people who made those picks, but Rasmussen is on this team and you need to kind of separate those two things. And I think once you do, you can find a little bit of that optimism. Even if you don't you know, match maybe what we're sharing on this episode of the podcast, you can find the value in what Rasmussen's doing. And you can see that if he does find a way to sustain this and the Red Wings coaching staff does find a way to make this a regular occurrence for him in terms of this this kind of play, then again, this is a contributing player on a competitive team. I'm going to take this one step further. Rasmussen played on Larkin and Raymond's line. And, you know, if we see Michael Rasmussen at his best, because he's still very young and he's able to make this the most, like he's make, able to make the most out of this play style. Can you see a Red Wings lineup that isn't lacking scoring depth? Like this doesn't come at the expense of a second or a third line or anything like that. Could you see a Red Wings lineup where Rasmussen as a first, first line, like net crashing, clean up the dirty areas, space creating wing as something that works? Are we talking on a team that's competitive? Yeah, I, I mean, like, coming out of this bullshit rebuild phase Red Wings, I, I, the next step, talking about playoffs. First line, no. I, I think to be a first line NHLer, even a support first line NHLer, you have to have at least a little bit of every component in your game. And Rasmussen doesn't. He's a specialist, which is fine. There's a million specialists on cup championship teams that fill the role Rasmussen will but on the first line you know we know what Tyler Bertuzzi does on the first line but Tyler Bertuzzi is still able to make the key passes at the right time Tyler Bertuzzi can still turn a defenseman inside out every once in a while Rasmussen's never gonna do that and if you're playing on the first line in key games against good teams in big situations you're going up against the top unit on the other team and you know, all that time I talked about that extra half step that you can get in the NHL and that Michael Rasmussen has earned in the NHL. He's not getting that against Charlie McAvoy. He's not getting that against Victor Hedman. So I, I don't see that unless there's still substantial improvement in his game, which I expect some, but I wouldn't call it substantial. So when the Red Wings are in their contending window, could Michael Rasmussen be that guy beside Larkin and Raymond DeFillo to first line? My answer is still no. It'd be great if he does become that, but I do not expect it. All right, Evan. Oh, I should mention, could he be that guy right now relative to the rest of this roster on the, this iteration of the Red Wings? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny because you look at teams like Toronto and stuff and like they're so stacked and then they don't get the results and then they just start galaxy braining stuff and you do see like third liners or like really old 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 men like michael bunting on the first line you're like oh okay you understand how they get there so i'm thinking like way too far ahead with the red wings evan your take on michael rasmussen the big man yeah it's certainly been a 
bit of a Jekyll and Hyde season for, for Rasmussen. <clears throat> oh, God, I sound terrible. Um, you sound so bad. Over text, you're like, I'm completely fine. You would never know. And the moment you started talking, I'm like, this dude's awful. It's because I haven't talked all day. I haven't said a single thing. I've just sat on my couch and watched the Masters. The YouTube um, are going to have a field day with that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been tale of two halves. And he's really turned it on in the past little bit. And um, I think he's got a spot on this team going forward if he keeps doing what he's doing. Um he brings something that a lot of players don't have, and that's massive size. And um, he's he's used a lot, utilizing it better than he did at the start of the year. So um, I'm just very glad it has not continued the way it did at the start of the year. Um, I'd say he's had a pretty good year at this point. All right. There is more to talk about uh, for the Red Wings, but first we are going to take a quick uh, ad break here as I let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what Michael Rasmussen's been giving us lately, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. They also have tons of fun and unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promotions in the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely back in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. The way it works is you just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-2707-117 in Michigan. Let's talk about sources. Let's talk about the flow of information in the NHL. Because last episode, we we discussed Jeff Blaschel's contract. And, you know, we noted that on Hockey Night, um, they they posted Jeff Blaschel as possibly a – or as a, a coach whose contract was either expiring or the next year was a team option. I put some feelers out, uh, talked to some people who – if they don't know, no one knows. I got three different answers. And what Elliot Friedman eventually reported in 32 Thoughts, his 32 Thoughts blog after, and this was after hockey night, was that we're still not certain because nothing leaks from Eisman's camp. So I have, we are, the initial reports from Pierre Lebrun in May of 2021 was that it was a two-year deal. I have heard from another person that they thought it was an expiring contract, like that no team option or anything, that it's just expiring. And Elliot Friedman uh, acknowledged that it may very well be a one year plus, which is this year, and then another year team option that Eisman would have to pick up, which would be for next season. But there's still no certainty. The update is that there is no update. That's where we're at on Jeff Blaschel. But it is 
it's not just that, oh, you know, if if someone were to know, someone were to know, it would be us. That's literally not it at all. I'm saying if Elliot Friedman doesn't know, and if, you know, the people that we talk to aren't able to dig this up, we're going to have to wait and see. And it's going to be the most like innocuous press release that's going <laughs> to come out one day. Sorry, it's going to be on a Friday at like 9.30 p.m. We know how this is going to go. Whether or not they pick up his option, extend him, or fire him, or not, whatever it ends up having to be, it's going to be at the most inconvenient time, and nobody's going to know until the press releases out. Until someone literally bugs Steve Eisenman's office, we're never going to know anything that happens in there, ever. It's it's fun because it does create more mystery and more hypothetical talking points. So for a podcast, fantastic content. Uh, For... For real-world information and accuracy, not ideal. Eisman definitely has a secret service detachment that, like, does a bug sweep on the room every time he walks in. Better yet, he knows how to do it, and then he'll, like, grab the hidden camera that someone put in there and, like, look directly into it and crush it in his fist. This is getting into, like, fanfic territory. I just assume every time Eisenman has to share an important piece of information with anybody in the Red Wings organization, it's kind of, it's not even in his office. It's at like some very public restaurant where they sit back to back in booths and he, it, he's like, don't look at me. <laughs> and then they just have that style of conversation. Pretty much. And he's always there first and he always has the coffee. And it's very clear that like the server there has already, like he's a regular and they know when to bring him the refills and he has the newspaper, but it's in Spanish for some reason. Anyways. Um, it's there's going to be some sense of satisfaction from the media team because anytime the word Blashill is online or anytime the Red Wings lose, the replies to the social media or whatever you know Red Wings outlet it is, it's just all like anger at Blashill, and they're just like it's all there, and they have to handle that. That's that's what they do. They have to either like ignore or sift through those replies, and just the sheer relief not relief the satisfaction that they'll get just dropping that news whenever the hell that they want when they know everyone who's clamoring for it has been begging to know i'm glad they get that win after having to put up with everything because no one's been able to and no one should but no one's been able to yell directly at blashill it's all at the social media team (laughs) so good for them they get a small win there did you see that um Was it the Devils who someone was yelling at the New Jersey Devils Twitter account for them blowing that lead against Florida? And in the tweet, they referenced all they're doing is sitting on their asses. And the Devils social team responded, sir, all we do is sit on our ass and make memes. This is a Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. It's beautiful. Uh, One more thing I want to talk about the Red Wings. We're seeing more Jake Wallman. Right, I'm not crazy. They are leaning more on Jake Wallman and what he's able to do. Prashant made a really good point on Twitter, which I really loved, which is that Jake Wallman does a good job of creating space for his shot. Wallman knows that he has a cannon of a slap shot, you know, 90 plus miles an hour on the regular. And what he does is he's able to use his quick feet and create a gap and create space to get that shot off. And it's dangerous when he does, right? We haven't seen him net 10 goals since he's been here, but every time he shoots, you're like, oh, that might be something. Prashant was like, I wish Hironic could learn that because imagine how much more effective Hironic would be if he could do that. But uh, even the power play, they went with um, Sider and Wallman on the power play and they were running that puck to Wallman. 
that was cool to see. Is it the best configuration? I don't know. I know a lot of people believe in four forwards plus a defenseman. I'm sure, Brad, you're probably one of them because you hate defensemen like me. But it, I thought that brought an element of danger to the blue line that before it was, you know, it was cider and then whoever was pivoting up. And that extra cannon, that extra booming slap shot, I thought that was a fun change of pace. Well, when you have as dangerous of a shot as Wallman does, yeah. And a and a second power play unit that is basically incompetent. Try anything. Big fan of that. Like I we talked about a couple episodes ago. Now is the time of year to try shit. So they're trying some shit. I'm very okay with it. And honestly, the the conversation between Heronic and Wallman is almost the same conversation as between Verona and Zadina, because it's the same thing in a different context. Wallman knows how to create space and get his shot through. Veronik has a really hard shot and no idea how to properly set it up. It's the same difference between Veron and Zadina, just in a different spot on the ice. So, I mean, I think we've been banging the table for two years that Heronic is, for all the strengths he has as a hockey player, uh, the power play is very much not one of them. And that's why Letty was doing it while he was here. Now that Letty's gone, they tried Heronic there briefly <laughs> wisely <laughs> and how it's wallman's time it's you know if if he can do it great if he can't he can't you try and solve it in the offseason whether that's edvinson or a free agent signing or screw it five forwards now's the time to try shit and it's good to see wallman not being terrible at it all right let's get into a prospect profile but a different one it turns out that the Detroit Red Wings have signed one Swedish player, Pontus Adreason, out of, and I'm going to butcher the name, Lulea in the SHL. Brad, you'd probably know better, but he seems to be. I've always said Lulea and nobody's ever corrected me. I know it's wrong, but nobody seems to get offended. So I'm running with it until otherwise stated. Large Sixton, if you're listening, feel free to correct us. Uh, seems to be having a breakout year in the SHL, 38 points in 52 games. He's a left shot uh, winger. What do we know, uh, very little admittedly, about Pontus Andreasen? Not much, I'll tell you that. Um, when the news broke that the Red Wings were apparently signing him, of course, the first thing any everybody did, myself, included was run to elite prospects um looks like he is the definition of a, a late bloomer um put up respectable numbers in the in the swedish junior leagues um this is actually his first full season in the shl though which is kind of what makes this a little intriguing because when the signing was announced i got big brome vibes um although andreason i think is two or three years younger than brome was when the red wings signed him but uh, this is, he, he put up lesser numbers in the exact same amount of, amount of games last year in the Alston's Cup. So he jumped levels this year and his game and his uh, production improved. So that's generally a good sign um, that despite the competition being getting ramped up, he did not flounder. Now, the. The jump from the SHL to the NHL is an entirely different thing. So I still do not expect much of anything from him. Uh, if he can come in and be a 
slightly above average fourth liner for the Red Wings, this is a phenomenal signing because it's the same concept of, as signing a um, college free agents. It costs you nothing other than the roster spot and obviously the salary, but whoever you would put there in this place would also cost salary. So it really costs you nothing other than the roster spot. So am I expecting much here? No. Am I super optimistic that he's going to come in and produce in the NHL? No. But looking at his trajectory so far, and is there a small part of me that goes, yeah, there might be something here? Yeah, very much. Yes, there there absolutely is. So again, I'm going into it with low expectations, but we'll say with one eyebrow raised. Yeah, this isn't the version of the Red Wings where Matthias Brome actually warranted full-on episode discussions. That was, I think we even said it at the time, this doesn't happen when the team is competitive. The, the, a Brome signing doesn't matter. Doesn't not matter, but it is not worth a massive discussion or a lot of time to think about. So I think the team's in a little bit of a better place where you can take that more rational approach to Andreas and like Brad, you just said. But yeah, it's that zero risk move that you like to see. It seems to be that what people are discovering about him or people who already were in the know know about him that it's it looks promising and he possibly this guy could be something. If that's at the NHL level, I think that's a bonus. But yeah, it's zero risk. Someone I saw someone ask like. You know, this is just like uh, Yo Levy. Why did we pick up Yo Levy if we're not going to even play him? It's zero risk. You picked him up. He's not good. All right, you paid the bucks. I- I'm not crying for the the money that the ownership paid him. That's not what hockey fans actually care about. So you have to take the shot at these guys when you have an opportunity. If you think it's worth it, like you got to fill out your system that way. And hey, another Swede in the system is never a bad thing. So we'll see what comes of this. We were talking about building a five-man Swede unit last week. Hey, it's coming together. Another potential piece. <laughs> Soderblom has been lights out in the playoffs in the SHL. He has been unreal. So it's looking more and more likely every game. Um. All right. Last episode we had the big. Uh, <laughs> we had the big. You know, intangibles. Boomer old man hockey talk about the code and Jay Beagle and Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras and hot dogging and taking fights too far. And that was a, you know, I'll be transparent here. We got off that podcast. We, and I looked at Brad and Evan and I said, was that okay? Like it was really kind of weird space for us to be in. And cause it's such like a not typical topic. Anyways, we're going to do that again. Keith the Andal had his Ironman streak ended about, I think 11 games before he hit the 1000 mark. He already held the record. 11 games before the 1,000 mark, Coach Mike Yeo uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers decided that Yandel wasn't going to slot in. There's different aspects to this. Apparently, Yandel was under the weather. Guys like Sealer were doing well, at least from a physical perspective in the lineup. They want to try out the young kids at the end of a lost season. But there was a big uh, flurry of opinions. A lot of people thought it was disrespectful, and they thought, your season is lost. Why are you doing this? And a lot of people thought, the streak was artificially extended more than once already. If he's not deserving to stay in, then don't keep him in. And um, I mean, I'll save my opinion for last, so I don't kind of front you guys. But what was your take on that? So I'm going to kind of fence it here because I, I understand both sides. What it comes down to me is the timing of this 
is what was stupid. Um, part of the Iron Man streak, it, it's not just that you are physically able to play that many games consecutively, that makes a streak impressive. It's that you were good enough to do it the entire time as well. You were an NHL player, healthy and effective for however many games in a row. And that's why it's impressive. I think when Doug Jarvis set the streak, his uh, his actually came to end on a healthy scratch as well. Because, you know, you play almost a thousand games in the NHL. It's a lot of time. You're you're not going to be the same player you were at the beginning of it or even in the middle of it. So it's perfectly understandable for for guys to regress. Yandel has been terrible this year. He's statistically one of the worst defensemen in the entire NHL this year, and he's a large reason why the Flyers are as bad as they are. Let's not forget before last season, Joel Quenville was going to healthy scratch him for the season opener because he didn't feel he was one of the best uh, top six defensemen on the Panthers before the team kicked up a stink about it and and kept him in the lineup. So this streak probably should never have been, uh, this record story should have probably never been broken realistically, but they did it as a favor to Yandel in a, in a lost season and. You know, I get it. Yandel's a super popular guy. And by all accounts, he's a great dude. So you want good things to happen to Keith Yandel. So I don't think there were many guys in the locker room who were upset by the husk of what he once was being paraded out every night. I said most. Notice I didn't say all. Because there were probably a lot of guys fighting for their NHL lives in practices in the few games they played that are that are sitting there going, why is this guy playing over me? Why am I healthy scratched and and he's out there? I'm playing better than him, you know, whatever that logic might be. They're sitting there going, yeah, this is BS. Forget his damn streak. I should be in this lineup. So I get that. The streak probably shouldn't have made it this far. He probably should have been healthy scratched a long time ago and very frequently, but they made the commitment to the streak and they got him this far. And with like 16 games or whatever it was left in the season, then they decide to healthy scratch him 11 games from a thousand. Okay. You could have let him get there. I understand why people are pissed that this is happening now because you had every chance in the world to do all the things you wanted to do all season that they're talking about now let the dude get to a thousand and then don't play him for the final five six games and throw out whatever ahlers rookies college free agents you want at that point it's it's just weird that this is the timing of it all and to do it in hockey night in canada where you know it's going to get maximum media attention I don't know. It's just the Flyers seem to be one of the worst, if not the worst organizations in the NHL right now for not knowing what they are and not knowing how to go forward and not knowing how to plan for things. And this just kind of encapsulates it all. So, yeah, I get it. I don't disagree with him deserving to be scratched, but man, you got him this far. You might as well have got him there and then just said, screw it. From the organization that brought you a five-year extension for Rasmus Ristolainen. <laughs> yeah, like there's that, there's that subreddit, um, am I the asshole? And one of the, like you say, yeah, you're the asshole, not the asshole. Or there's one that's like, uh, everyone sucks here. That's what this is. You're right. It's kind of the same as the, the Anaheim uh, uh, Arizona incident. Like everyone sucks. 
I don't, and I, I've heard now that uh, Yandel was pretty okay with this. Like he knew it was coming, especially after, like he was okay with being traded, and he like had said, "Oh, I'm not going to make my Iron Man streak a stipulation of like whatever, like being okay with the trade." That's it, not how he was using his leverage. So I, I want to be very careful to not direct the hate at Yandel here. But for me, an Iron Man streak, if we're gonna put this much stock into like a, a thousand game career or you know a thousand straight games played, and those are monumental achievements, you have to be really good. There needs to be some modicum of legitimacy to it. I think there's certain give on like, hey, something happened and you know it's not the guy's fault. And you, I saw people uh, uh, talking about Phil Kessel, like he had to fly home for the birth of his child. And it's like, you know what? I understand how that one feels arbitrary, but that one's almost like, I don't think a guy should lose his Ironman streak for that. So him playing 30 seconds and then flying home, I'm okay with that. But propping up a player who is not one of your best options for this long I'm against it. That's not what the NHL is about. We constantly harp on, you know, the young guys who are trying to break into the league that, hey, if you want to stick in this league, you've got to be one of the best. And what example does it show when you just prop up a husk of a player who is not contributing? Like that's a you're right. It's a terrible message to send. I know it comes at a cost of like the respect in the room because those guys love Yandel and and experience and veteran leadership does mean a lot, whether we like it or not, in locker rooms. But there needs to be a line. And I think that was crossed a long time ago, but then you're also right, Brad. Why now? Why 11 games away? You came this far. Why now? I get that they had their reasoning, but I bet they had 10 different reasons that were probably even better uh, causes to have sat Yandel before this. So it's an everyone sucks here moment. Everyone who has an opinion on it is right, which is a rarity. I think, you know, whichever direction you go, you have good cause in that argument. Putting Yandel in like a game later, I think is especially funny. And that's especially Philadelphia. That organization, man, like taking him out is one thing. I, I think they had a leg to stand on there. Exactly one leg. But putting him back in the game later is like, guys. <laughs> and it's from the general manager who brought you 10 years of Minnesota being what every NHL team doesn't want to be never good enough to do anything, but not bad enough to draft the superstars, Philadelphia, come on down. Cause they said they're not rebuilding, but they're one of the worst teams in the league with what looks like, uh, one of the worst cultures in the league right now. And it, there's, there's no daylight at the end of this tunnel. Um, although the one positive to this situation is I can already see the memes early next season when Phil Kessel takes the Ironman record of the people don't want you to know this, but this is what peak physical performance looks like. I'm very excited for those memes. <laughs> <laughs> the picture of him at the White House where you're like, is that Phil or is that the guy who brought the catering into the room? <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be his mug shot from that one, that one Team USA mug shot everywhere. But the thing, too, is, though, people want to argue that one shift that Phil played in Detroit and then flew out for the birth of his child. I Phil's streak to me is more legitimate than Yandel's because at no point has there been a coherent argument that Phil Kessel should be healthy scratched. He's on a terrible ah. team. Don't get me wrong. He's on a bad team, but you cannot tell him he's not one of the 12 best forwards on this team, despite him having a down year. There's definitely way more of an argument from him than Keith Yandel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Evan, are we off base on this? No, I don't think so. Um, it's just so weird how a team will flip-flop and decide the hill that they want to die on a day later or two days later. Like it, just, it just doesn't make any sense. Did they call up Mike Babcock and ask him what they should do? Like, I just don't understand. Yeah, are they running an NHL team or a podcast? Only we get to flip-flop like that. They don't get yeah. an edit button. <clears throat> yeah, but I think the whole point of the streak is, you know, you play so many games while being a positive contribution to your team not just because you're you show up it's not impressive just showing up so i'm glad it's over to be honest with you and i think phil kessel's a much deserving much more deserving recipient of it than keith yandel is at this point in both of their careers some other notes here before we jump into overtime. Uh, Jeff Blashill made a point of complimenting um, the play of Zadina and Valeno over the past two games. So you can see that the increased roles there, especially with Zadina playing with Verona, they've not gone unnoticed. And I think that the compliments were well warranted. So I thought that was really good to see from the Red Wings coaching staff recognizing that. Uh, and additionally, Jeff Blashill hit uh, 200 career NHL wins with the win over Winnipeg. So that tweet went out and I immediately put my phone away <laughs> and the replies after were as expected. And it only took him what? Seven seasons <laughs> Something like that. All right, folks, we're going to jump into overtime uh, on this episode of the wing wheel podcast. And we are going to start with our Patreon supporters who are the reason we were able to do things like plan wing wheel podcast night at the LCA. And I mean, like literally we could not do this. We could not fund it. We could not support the Jamie Daniels foundation without your support. So thank you all so much. All the new patrons. We appreciate you. Um, congrats to the winners of the, uh, or the people who came near the top of the uh, wing wheel podcast, March madness, pool i think none of the participants had their correct winner so nobody picked kansas evan very rudely came third brad and i tied for six so there was that um but thank you all prizes will be coming out in the coming weeks all right let's start with some questions on patreon here uh spirit of red wings future this one's not so much a hockey question it says hey guys long time listener first time questioner i've recently had a mini promotion uh i didn't know i would have to work days i've always worked afternoons i would go work out in the morning have zero desire to go to the gym after work since you guys work days i thought i'd pick your brains on what to use to motivate myself what gets you going so let's make this podcast related how do we find the energy for this podcast you guys find energy for this i just kind of drag my the husk of my body into the seat and then kind of run on autopilot. Uh, for me, it's just straight up. Uh, I do this after the gym. So that my pre-workout is still coursing through my veins and that's how I wake up. No, the, the real answer here is just pure unfiltered rage. And Evan, you're just bouncing off the walls every episode. Yes, exactly. I am always full of energy. Uh, question from Jeremy Dahl says, we won back-to-back -back games, so that's something, I guess. My question to you boys is, with the hope of a coaching change coming in the offseason, can some of the stunted development be salvaged? Like, can Zadina be saved from how Blashill's maybe gotten him so uptight and nervous? <sighs> yes, but not to dramatic levels, if that makes sense. There's also, and I, I'm not trying to be contrarian here, but there's no you can't say with certainty that all of that is coming from Blasio. I think everyone can see that Zadina is nervous and beats up on himself, but you don't know that 
you know, Jeff Blashill's not going to the dressing room after every game and saying, hey, don't focus on the negatives, like work on this, this, and this. You can make your inferences, of course, but you won't really know until you run into that situation. And at the end of the day, a player's play comes down to the player. Their coaches can influence and coaches do influence. And I think they have responsibility for development overall, but it can't just be on the coach. So I think there's an opportunity for that, but not a guarantee. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, AJ Voss says, whoever finally got through to Rasmussen that he can do more in the offensive zone than losing possession, trying a wraparound should be the head coach next year. Spoiler alert. That was Jeff Blashill. <laughs> um, Ooh, Babe Landiscog says, equal stakes game. Would you rather have a goalie goal or a goalie shutout? Oh, goalie goal, because that means you had the win anyways. Goalie goal, a thousand percent. Like, there's a shutout in the NHL every given night. There's been one goalie goal in, what, five years? A thousand percent that. MVP96 says, if you could only pick one to be part of the core for the future, who do you choose between Bertuzzi and Verana? That's a tricky question, man. I don't think that's as straightforward as people might think. I'm going to say Verana just because his type of player is harder to find. Is a hard-nosed, high-producing near point per game energy player who plays a, and I know what I sound like when I'm saying this playoff style of hockey, not just as rare. We were just talking about Verona having a top 10 release in the NHL and his per 60 goal numbers are also top 10 in the NHL. Can we say Bertuzzi's even a top 10 player of his type in the NHL? I would I would say yes. Ultimately, I do agree with you. I think it's Verona here because I think there's I think there's more years left on what Verona's doing than what Bertuzzi's doing. And that's just a sustainability thing and a physical thing. But again, I don't think it's as straightforward as people think. Uh, Mr. Claudicus says, is it just me or does Lindstrom hesitate a lot? Is he afraid to attack? Like he's afraid to attack or drop back. Um, yeah. Lindstrom plays like a third pairing guy to me, right? Like he's had stretches where he's been great, but that at times you can see why he's a number six guy, even on this team. I don't know if, if you guys have seen differently. It's a very common problem overall on this team. So I'm not going to say he's a, an exception to that. And the second part of the question is, Evan, what would you suggest for a gaming TV? A gaming TV? Well, OLED's always really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have a billion um, dollars, spend it on TV. Yeah, it really depends on your budget. Um, and really, if you just want a really nice monitor, those are close to the same price as a, a gaming TV anyway. So... Um, there's a really good website that you should use. It's called it's called Ratings, but it's spelled R T I N G S. Um, they do really good reviews on uh, TVs, and they actually have a gaming best gaming TV. So check that out. 
And we'll finish off here. Actually, we have two more. Uh, this one from Large, the prophet of the towering behemoth. Large from the Swedish winger um, says, hello, honorary Swedes and greetings from a snow covered scar plunge where we are supposed to get 20 centimeters of snow during the night. I hate April. God. Uh, in the latest article I translated, Herrick Lehman, who follows Frölunda closely, made a very interesting comment. He seems very certain that both Edvinson and Elmer Soderbloom are destined for Detroit next season. He states something that has been uh, become apparent during the latter part of the season and in the playoffs. Elmer is playing with much more heads-up hockey, scanning the ice, and spending less energy on YouTube deeks. Instead of deking until he loses the puck, he's looking to shoot or pass before that. He's also finishing his checks more distinctly. How do you view his chances next season in the States? I think uh, that if he makes a team, he has to play with players that complement his style and he has to get enough ice time. What's your call when it comes to Lord Elmer destined for Grand Rapids or can he nab a top six role? Oh, I will say he's, it'll be shocking if he grabs a top six role. I'd say his odds of making the Red Wings bottom six next year are low but not crazy, I think it's more likely than not, though, that he'll be in Grand Rapids for a season. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're of the belief that he needs the ice time and he needs line mates that are a little bit more talented, um, you don't want him coming in and playing in the bottom six if he's going to be you know, paired with Adam Ernie or Chris Cuolo as center, for example, and not to really dig at either of those guys too much. It's just okay, he, if he needs someone who's really, really skilled and, and can accent that, accentuate that part of his game, unless he comes in and has an unreal camp, yeah, Grand Rapids seems to be the move. But it's not a bad thing. And certainly more and more watching Elmer Soderblom, I'm like, yeah, I can see this guy making the Red Wings sooner than people think. And it seems like a more solid bet every day. All right, uh, time for one Reddit question here. Dizzy Wrongdoer 5804 says, as of now, we sit around ninth overall in points percentage in terms of draft rankings. If we stay there, who's your pick in the 7 to 10 range? I'm sticking with my guns and saying Lambert, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, So let's just assume Savoy and Cooley are off the board, which is more than likely. Of guys who could fall in that range, I think my top two targets right now would be Juracek and Nazer. And we'll have more coming up on um, on those draft targets as well. Someone has been, <laughs> someone people have been talking about like the late season like rise if the Red Wings start winning a bunch of games. I'm like, I don't really think their draft stocks can be moved too much. They kind of just are where they are. It's not like Philly is lighting it up and moving up the board, right? Okay, folks, um, we are going to see you at Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA, we hope. Uh, remember to check your emails for more information. If you have any questions, fire us an email back or uh, message us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. Um, there's a lot more news and stuff coming up. There's giveaways and Wings Money on the Board information as well. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all for tuning in to this uh, last minute remote podcast and sorry for the quality difference when we have to go remote. Um, hopefully it won't have to be too long. Evan, very selfish of you again to be sick. Um, I'd like to thank all of our listeners, the sponsors of this, of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook and our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, see you there, buddy. Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hanna's Banana Slam and Jamathong, uh, Matthew M. Rice, Billy Howell, Boost Lobsinger, 
Brandon M., Brian Johnson, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Giving Good D with Brian Hanna, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheesebags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, Jeremiah Dobo, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Mo Cider, Mo Problems, the trap, the trap Remix featuring Sean Puffy Combs, Papa Woody, Parking on the Street, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. See you all at Wing Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Not you, Evan. Sorry, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.